0: Good morning, Memphis. I'm so happy that you're joining me on this beautiful, brisk morning. I am totally loving these chilly mornings because you know I have my hot coffee, so it's a good little combination. Um, I'm Sanaa, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And remember, wherever you may be, you can also tune in online at wyxr.org. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn more about their motivations, inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Now, across the U.S., we've seen new community developments, revitalization, gentrification, and an intense need for affordable housing. Here in Memphis, you've probably seen neighborhood changes from the development of the Broad Arts District, Edge District, the Raleigh Springs Civic Center, and even here in the Crosstown area. And, of course, a variety of community development corporations. And, in fact, during this month, construction will start on Memphis's first community land trust home in Binghamton. So in considering community development or redevelopment, there are often challenges that arise. So for example, how are existing community members being impacted? What does it mean if outside developers come into a neighborhood? And then how can development lead to positive outcomes for everyone involved? So to talk about these ideas and the future of our communities, today I have joining me, Dominique Anderson. Dominique is a social impact strategy consultant with Dominique Anderson Consulting. She specializes in evaluating and creating or improving a project's social impact on generally underserved communities of color. And her real estate background includes recently launching Nashville's first community land trust, as well as other work in affordable housing and public-private partnerships. Previously, she led social innovation and entrepreneurship with a focus on equitable communities and affordable housing at Vanderbilt University's Wondery Innovation Center, and she was formerly a realtor and still a real estate investor in Memphis, Tennessee. Dominique is a member of the Urban Land Institute Nashville, where she chairs and co-chairs various councils and committees, as well as facilitates timely conversations on diversity within the real estate development industry. So important. She is also a board member of the Social Enterprise Alliance, which focuses on empowering social entrepreneurs to do well by doing good. And she is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Put a little sauce on that. And... (laughs) Outside of work, Dominique is a wife to an analytical creative and a mother to a future chef. Welcome, welcome, Dominique. How are you?
1: I am so great. My body always makes me sound so, so much more interesting. I actually, I, I love that I wrote that. Um, I am great, how about yourself?
0: (laughs) I am doing well also. Yes, your bio says exactly that you are an amazing woman, that you are doing all the things, important work. So yes, I love it. (laughs) And I just have one quick question because you say you're the mother to a future chef. So go ahead and brag on this future chef. Are there some um, already, some specialties? Um, What's cooking?
1: Well, so my little rock star, and now I say little, and she's, uh, five, eight and a half inches. So she's thir- 13 going on 45. Um, <laughs> she started a business when she was seven called teacher treats. So she's been kind of food adjacent for years and she made, um, dipped Oreos and dipped marshmallows and sucker bouquets. Right. So that was when she was seven. She knew she wanted. she's been saying forever. She wanted to be a chef. So I think her, her specialty is definitely um, eggs, breakfast, and she makes a very mean grilled cheese. So we felt it a Kaya grilled cheese. She makes pretty good steak too. So I mean, you know, 13, you I
0: know, right?
1: I, know. <laughs> I support it.
0: <laughs> yes, I love it, I love it. All right, so today we are talking about community development, we're talking about housing. And just to kind of get started, um, I know we're talking also about affordable housing. So can we just start there? Like what is considered affordable housing? Kind of why is this important?
1: So you'll hear a range of things. You'll hear some people, there are people in this industry who are adverse to saying affordable. They may say attainable workforce. You hear all of these different things. Affordable housing really is depending on what's affordable to a group of people, but the standard definition is based on ami or the area median income in a space Mm -hmm. right and so usually that zero you can go anywhere from zero to 120 percent of the area median income to be affordable housing but the the sweet spot really is that 30 to 60 percent that you'll find a lot of people like lend on and and focus on Um, and the zero to 30 percent is very underrepresented in the affordable housing space
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. So I think probably a lot of people are familiar with this idea of like, oh, your um, housing expense shouldn't exceed that 30% of your income, right? Mm -hmm, right, Um, So I know that's kind of a general rule that we often hear people talking about, um, but it can encompass kind of a range of elements that we might be taking into consideration.
1: Right, right. And and, and different people being able to afford a house, right? Like Mm -hmm. home ownership, um, rental is always kind of the first stop, but I and kind of the group of people that I'm around often are talking about home ownership, because that's vitally important. Mm
0: -hmm. Talk more about the home ownership piece, because I know here in Memphis and around the U.S., I think as well, we see um, so many new kind of like apartment or rental spaces popping up. Um, I can't say that I really see as many kind of housing developments per se. So can you talk more about that?
1: So there is, in this uh, affordable housing space, there's always a, a first stop to rental because there are so fewer. Now the, the rental rates are increasing so high that, you know, people are trying to build apartments and townhomes. And now there's even for rent houses that people are building brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, in Antioch here, for example, in Nashville, there's you know, rental communities that are being built brand new. Uh and, and that's great for the people that need to rent. But the thing that we want people to understand is that affordable housing isn't just rental, that you can have the American dream and be a homeowner and still it can still be affordable. So, for example, in Memphis, they, you used to not be able to get a loan under $50,000 or not just Memphis, but anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but because the housing stock is cost less and the income was less in Memphis, there was a lot of um, policy work that went to change that that amount. And so now lenders will lend on $50,000 which which could be a very good home in Memphis and other cities like it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think for a lot of folks, um, when we were growing up, we definitely heard this idea of like home ownership as being a goal. And you said the American dream, definitely that home, that picket fence, the walk in closet, right. you know, all of that. Right, right. Um, and so home ownership, uh, definitely so important for fulfilling that American dream portion of it. Right. Our personal right. aspirations. Uh, but could you talk about the importance of home ownership and thinking about community? community development or neighborhoods or even generating wealth?
1: So having been in um, rental, lease purchase uh, in Memphis, right? Having done that work in the real real estate space. I think that you know that you have a different view of a space when you rent it as opposed to when you own it. Mm. If you want to paint a wall, put a thumbtack, do anything, Mm. put a piece of tape on your wall. When you rent it, you have to think through that. When you own, you can wake up and decides, you know what, I want to paint all of this. I want to shiplap everything or, or whatever. As <laughs> Chip and Joanna Gaines have made yes. it, everyone wants to shiplap. <laughs> so, you know, when you when you own something that gives you a different sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. So home ownership is something that's, you know, vitally important. So when we talk about land trust and, and all these different spaces, um, it just is, what's that sense of home ownership that we have? in our world and in our space. Uh, I think that, I don't know, I just think that we have to look at what does that look like? How do we build that out? So there are ownership classes um, there. And I think we continue to recreate the will and we all, all these groups live in silos. So you have the same home ownership classes that are going on. You have the same lending classes that are going on mm-hmm. and we have to kind of meet in the middle on mm-hmm. that.
0: I think you said something really important there when you said there is a difference in kind of your feeling of self, but I also heard in you talking the feeling of community when you Mm -hmm. own the property versus when you rent. So you have more of an investment.
1: So in in redevelopment, we think about like, there are people that own homes, there's communities right now where there are some people that own the homes, but there's a lot of renters, right? Mm -hmm. And really turning that, that switch over to help people understand that although they and their family may have rented that same exact house for years, they really are in a place to be homeowners. They're not gonna pay a whole lot more than they do in rental. So when you think about redeveloping a community, homeownership has to be a part of that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. We have to make people understand that you, you love it here, so own here. And that means that you have an even greater voice, although as a renter, you still have a voice but when you own a home in a, in a community, you have a bigger voice. So the more that we can create homeowners in that space, turn people from renters to homeowners in communities, they're going to have much more pride in that space, right? And we can build more because they're going to be there. They put those roots in. I mean, no one can tell them, hey, you know what? I've decided I want to up this rent so either you can pay or get out, right? So that's a big part of revitalization and rebuilding a community. And then the built environment is important as well. So if, like, I really believe when you look at the space of development and community, if we, and when I say we, I mean, whatever that diversity is for that community, if I know a lot of football players, for example, are athletes, right? Pro athletes. They come from communities where, you know, they may have rented their whole life or maybe somebody owned a home. But a lot of their stories are similar, especially of color players who come from communities where, you know, it just, it wasn't great, right? They're kind of throwing away communities. So their, their goal was to become a football player or a basketball player. If they can go back and figure out and learn how to develop and build in their community, they can pull that community up. They can affect the built environment because now they're not only going to just build houses that people can afford there, but they're going to put, community improving things like doctor's offices and stores and different things. They're going to rebuild that community and not in a gentrification, a negative gentrification space, but really rebuild that in a healthy way. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you touched on something important there when you're talking about development or even redevelopment and you kind of hinted at some of what that might look like, right? So having a doctor's mm-hmm. office or having different types of businesses. Um, so can you talk more about that difference between that type of community redevelopment versus gentrification? I think people are really familiar with gentrification and kind of the negative ramifications of gentrification, yeah. um, but maybe not so familiar that this type of... it reinvestment can or revitalization can be done in a different way
1: you know you can build I think Whitehaven if you really look at it Whitehaven has some really great opportunity that it's that things that are happening in Whitehaven now are they stretched across everyone in the community maybe not but I think the mindset let's put some coffee shops there Mm -hmm. there's what three vegan restaurants in Whitehaven like there's a lot Elvis Presley has a lot of like burgeoning things happening yes and they're all hyper local people of color people from the community who care about the community so that really is the direction that you have to go now the other side of that is how do we pump more money into there how do we create home ownership? how do we help people from there rebuild and take a block how do you buy a block because mm-hmm. by the way you can buy a block in memphis for very little <laughs> how do you buy that block Where's your construction crew to come in and rebuild those homes? And then to make sure, even if you have to be the bank, which is a whole nother conversation, but even if you have to be the bank, how do you get, how do you then bring people to your community and say, I know you've rented over here, Miss Emma, but why don't you come over here? Let me show you how you can own this home. And you're probably going to pay less here than you did in that rental. And it's going to be fresh and new, and you're going to love your home and it's yours. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a, a process to that. And it, I make it sound kind of easy. It's 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 a climb, right? But in my mind I go, ah, we could do all this tomorrow. Let's go.
0: <laughs> yes, we can do all of this. Now I hear you mentioning um, Kind of, or what it sounds like is there are some challenges to getting people to make that switch from that maybe renter mindset to that homeowner mindset. And so, could you talk about what some of those challenges are, or maybe even what some, um, how we could be thinking about it differently?
1: You know, I think there are a lot of scary words to people, and one of the scary words is credit. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think whether in any brown community, whatever, whether it's, you know, black, brown, brown, you know, whatever you call that community, there's so often people who you're going to hear say, have you pulled your credit? Oh, I got bad credit. Mm. How do you you know that? How Mm. do you know that you have bad credit? And then what is bad credit? And then, okay, maybe if I had my my mother-in-law one time, I got bad credit. She like a 700 credit score. (laughs) What? (laughs)
0: oh terrible credit
1: <laughs> my own mother's matter of fact was like ah you know I don't know what that credit's looking like she's like a 720 and I was like listen buy 12 houses right now today right now let's go go do it so I think you know number one it's getting people to stop fearing pulling their credit mm-hmm. number two it's putting good solid people in their space that once they understand the credit how do you buy this home mm-hmm. and when you do don't make a lot of money there's so many options available to put you in a home that you could not come out of pocket with money or a lot of money the same money that you'll save up to buy and i'm gonna hit a soft spot here but a lot of things for christmas right (laughs) like you got to get your kid that new phone and those new shoes and all the different things and and listen i I, i'm all about it but you know there's a way that you can put a little bit of money and get a house And if you're happy in under a thousand square feet with, you know, two bedrooms and one bath or three bedrooms and two bath mm. or a thousand square feet, right? Mm. 1,100 square feet. You can do that just like what you're renting. Mm. There's an so opportunity.
0: So you're saying I should not buy the PS5, but I should use that money.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, don't let me kill the dream. Listen, don't have people calling me talking about my baby. said, I can't get the PS5 and a house. Listen, li- live life. Do you. I'm no dream killer. Listen, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to be on Facebook talking about "Mm," instead of buying that PS5, you should (laughs) have lived your life live
0: your life. <laughs> but you bring up a good point when we're talking about credit, um, because a lot of people don't understand that there is good credit, right? Like that you can, right. we often think about credit in that negative. Um, right. And if we are, you know, buying the PS5 <laughs> and putting that on credit, that might be bad credit, a bad use of our credit, right? Because there right. is not actually giving us a return, right? Right. But there are types of credit that we can use, like a home loan or credits, um, that didn't have a long-term return for right. us. Um, and we don't, I think we don't often, um, hear about that, especially in, I right. about in my own family or in lower income families and communities, we don't have this kind of expansive conversation about good and bad credit and when to get the loan or when to, you know, when we should borrow. Right. Right. Um, so right. there's, not you know we don't really have a language to talk about that so it can be very scary in thinking about uh, a loan that's tens and tens of thousands or a couple of hundred Mm -hmm. thousand or you know however much money
1: right and if you have you know the people whatever group that looks like and if if it's you if it's me whomever if you've bought furniture on credit Mm -hmm. if you've bought anything on credit you're not risk adverse you're just generally generationally scared to do something mm. right it's very different because you you'll buy you know people if you pay Bre Center or errands for something <laughs> yes. like listen you're gonna buy a house if you'll pay them for 700 years and you know 98 you know interest you can you can do it right and so you're probably paying less than you are for for that sofa and that dining set so I mean it's just and that's not putting anybody's anything down it's just number to number mm-hmm. it's, I not for furniture on credit like let's let's not act like we haven't done things that's also a frustration for me that people they switch off when you hear oh well you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and meanwhile they're sitting up the person who's giving you all the grief has done all those things
0: mm-hmm. let's
1: not do that let's just say like you don't know what you don't know and once you know better you do better right that's Absolutely. really what it is
0: Yes, I love that idea of thinking about the ways that we have taken on that credit risk in -hmm. ways that we feel are safer risks, right? Right. Uh, But then comparing it to, you know, home ownership and if we can switch our thinking into, okay, how have I taken a similar risk in the past? You know, how did that work out for me? Okay, I could do that. You know, how is this um, very similar and maybe not as scary as I have built it up to be in my mind?
1: hmm. Right. I think, you know, something that's interesting to me is Memphis is a renter city, right? Mm-hmm. It's a heavily renter city. Um, uh, the area median income is definitely lower than other parts of Tennessee mm-hmm. and it's a different income. But the thing that's so interesting is when you go to apply for a home loan, they're going to want to see a few things. And it depends on the type of loan that you apply for. You can have as low as a 580 credit score. Right um and even a 620 you can get down payment assistance you can get um, zero closing or low closing and agencies that'll pay for all of these things right mm-hmm. the other thing that that these lenders want is job security so let's say you're the person that's been at kellogg for 20 years mm-hmm. you know you or you've been at kellogg for five years right honestly if you've been somewhere consistently for three years and you have at least a 580 depending on the price of the home you're a candidate mm-hmm. right and you don't have a bunch of negative like you haven't been paying things late so there's so many people that I know in this space that have had the same job for years they pay their bills on time cuz they don't want any problems mm-hmm. so they have good credit you're <laughs> an amazing candidate to buy a home it may not be a you know huge house depending on what you make But you're renting and you're happy where you are. Mm -hmm. So you can buy a house that looks like what you're renting or better. Mm,
0: yes. I hope someone is really encouraged by that. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go buy all the houses. Like, let's do it. Yes. Right.
1: Go buy 10. Go buy 10 houses today. Let's, let's go.
0: Let's do it. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd actually like to hear you talk more about the community land trust and your involvement in that. Um, you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're back. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa and I'm here with Dominique Anderson, a social impact strategy consultant whose work centers around community redevelopment projects. And so before the break, I was saying I'd like to hear you talk more about your involvement in the community land trust um, in the first community land trust in Nashville. Um, And so can you tell us, well, let's just start out with what is a community land trust?
1: So Community Land Trust is designed to give homeowners control of their space, Mm -hmm. right? It gives you, you take a piece of land and you say, you know what, we're going to own this space. It's always going to be permanently permanently affordable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can have real pride in this, what we're doing, because no one's ever going to come in and make it tall and skinny. This is kind of the conversation here in Nashville, always, (laughs) right? So it it is permanently affordable controllable space Mm -hmm. okay how
0: how does it maintain that affordability
1: Mm -hmm. so there's two ways that you're you're tackling this issue number one because in a community land trust there's what's called a ground deed on the land right so the person that buys a house buys the house but not the land. Mm. So when you take the cost of the land some someplace like Nashville, where land is a bajillion dollars, <laughs> a, a quarter of an acre, right? You take the cost of the land out of the equation. So all the person has to get that mortgage on is the house, the actual structure, mm-hmm. which is generally going to be cheaper than putting those is always going to be cheaper than putting the two together. So number one, you're having, you have a cheaper price for the actual structure. Number two, you're protecting that land forever. So even if it's a 99-year ground lease. So that land is always going to be protected. It's always going to stay at the, you know, the space that it is, and it's always going to be affordable. You're also putting a certain type of restriction on that structure mm-hmm. that means that there's a community, kind of like a HOA that goes into these community land trusts where they're determined to keep the space, the community. Mm-hmm you know, together and looking nice, looking a certain way. So it's always going to stay by deed and by restriction. It's going to stay that way, right? And then there's also a a cost formula, a resale formula that goes on each house inside of a land trust. So nobody can come in and say, I'm going to sell it for three times as much because what you agree to when you got that house is that it's always going to stay affordable so you can pass that on to the next person. So it's always affordable.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. I see. I like that because in Memphis, um, so I mentioned, so we have the Binghampton Community Land Trust and in the Binghampton area, we've seen a lot of development over the past, you know, several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cost of owning a home in that area has just risen exponentially. So you have homes Where? going for $300,000 and $400,000 um, in Binghampton, which of which then leads to pushing people out, right? Because then we see Absolutely. effects on just um, property value. Um, we see people, you know, not being able to maintain, you know, within that neighborhood. And so right. with the Hampton Community Land Trust, we see, you know, the first kind of breaking ground of the first home in that area. Uh, so I think it's important for people to understand, you know, what a land trust is and what it can do for the community members.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it, it is, it is important. And what I hope is that they get more land quickly, Mm -hmm. right? Because owning land is if you have enough money to buy a piece of land, buy it because they're never making any more of it. Right. And so land is king and and queen. And so you really want to have that land Um, in Nashville with Nashville's community land trust, the city, the the housing fund in Nashville came together and they donated um, 14 pieces of land. Now, Mm where the problem was, is that the problem that did come about is that Nashville has a land trust and Memphis has a land bank, right? Mm -hmm. And so generally, although they still are talking about tax issues with the land bank in Memphis, generally those titles are usually clearer and cleaner, so you don't have as much expense. So when I say expense, I'm talking about almost $100,000 in in legal fees, trying Mm -hmm. to clear titles, right? And so that is one thing that sways people from doing this work right so if you take on land if the city gives you land or the you know the county gives you land you don't want to encumber a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees to be able to do the you know the good work so that's a conversation that's happening right now i i definitely say that they could fix all that right but (laughs) i'll work on that in my policy work because policy is law so i'll work on that but um yeah. That's how, you know, we can definitely get there. So getting the land and getting the properties. So all these blight properties, mm-hmm. literally, if somebody were to go in and say, if I were to go in and say, listen, give me a block, mm-hmm. give me a block. And, and how that was structured was, you know, here's these properties. You have five years to make, make good on this. So we're going to take it all back. Well, nobody wants to take it back. So we'll make good on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how, hopefully you know memphis will move a little faster and say you know what binghampton here's here's some properties that are left let me just go ahead and take all these clear the titles for you we'll throw away all the tax issues and Mm -hmm. make it happen and here you go go do good work
0: Mm -hmm. sounds easy Uh, (laughs) it sounds easy indeed but we know that it is not that easy at all um what are or what type of community buy-in is needed to create a community land trust?
1: So there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversation that has to happen. There's a lot of education that needs to happen up front. Number one, people in that community need to be, people in Binghamton let's just take Binghamton and use that. They need first right of refusal of what's happening in their community. There has to be really good community engagement and community development and community conversation right? Because what happens generally is people say, hey, we're doing something good for your community, but you can't really be involved because you probably couldn't afford it. So we're going to keep doing this over here and bring other people, right? Mm-hmm. We need to be hyper local and say, here's what's happening. Here's how you can, again, let's go back and tell people, you can be homeowners. Here's how you can do it. We're going to build this or what do you want built here? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, be a part of that conversation. I think if you give people that live in the communities you wanna affect changing first right of refusal. And then as long as they understand, this is very structured, this is how we're gonna keep it safe. You do own a home, you can do things, but you know, just like living in HOA, maybe you can't put up a, a statue in your front yard because that's a, a bit <laughs> of a restriction, like don't go too far, right? But we definitely want you to know that you own this home in this space.
0: Hmm. Um, thinking about just ideas of affordable housing and community development, um, do you think land trusts are kind of like the future of shaping our cities or preserving kind of preserving neighborhoods?
1: So community land trusts are very old, right? Like it's an old concept. It's not a new concept. It's just people didn't care about it, right, until they had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's it definitely is done well. It's definitely an option. We have to get these governments and these municipalities to buy in more, mm. um, and really be willing to give away this land, or donate this land, or sell it clean land at a good price. I don't think that people have a problem; would have a problem buying the land if they didn't have to encumber all the tax debt. Mm. Yeah. So I do think that it's definitely a solution, and in cities like Memphis that are having such issue with um, gentrification and disreputable developers and investors buying in certain places and pushing people out, I think it's a great way to capture community Mm -hmm. and, and rebuild from the inside out.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because I know here in Memphis, you know, we see so many of those tall, skinny buildings, you know, (laughs) being built. And, you know, you think like, who is going to buy, like, who can rent, who can afford to live in these new developments? Like, these are not for us. And by us, I mean, for Memphians, for people, you know, Mm -hmm. who have our roots here. Um, It's not for us. As you mentioned earlier, you know, Memphis is, you know, still very much a working class city. Even though, obviously, we have the range of incomes here, but still at its sure. core, very much, you know, a blue collar city. So when we see all these, you know, fancy apartments, you know, <laughs> yeah, they look good. But there is a question of how is this impacting, you know, the heart and soul of our city if people right. who are, you know, Memphians, if we're being pushed, you know, to the outskirts.
1: So, you know, the other thing that Memphis has is a, a wage issue. Mm hmm and a disparity in wages because there's a reason why there's so many new home developments that are happening new communities are popping up every day and they're starting at half a million dollars right they're starting at upper fours yes and and above right so the question is well who's paying for this but yet they're selling quickly (laughs) memphis has always had a, a a space where they came up with these new roles Mm-hmm. They paid well, but it's almost always for people from outside coming back, coming in, right? So they hire from outside. Mm-hmm. So people are coming from outside and because it's not expensive, Memphis is a great city. Yes. Right? Like you'll come and you'll come from Nashville, you'll come from California, you'll come from other places and it's unnecessarily cheap to live there <laughs> when you already have money and you're from somewhere else and you can appreciate that yes so it's it's a quiet job market that happens in memphis that is funding all of these homes it's it's the the gen z's that are moving there now and the millennials that are moving there and moving up you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and gen xers who are going back right so it's people that are moving in or moving back hint, hint me <laughs> so um quickly as possible uh, moving back and uh, coming from out of town and saying, you know what, this is, this is awesome. I I could live here all day, you Mm -hmm. know, and but the, the same opportunity isn't always afforded the people who live there are from there and their jobs that they may not hear about and can't get that, that next step up. Mm -hmm. So that's why you can't, you can't really understand like, who is paying for this? People are living, they're moving every day. Right. But it's not, it's not equal access to those opportunities
0: hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something you said a little bit earlier as we were talking about creating a community land trust and some of the challenges that are kind of inherent in that um, what I kind of heard you saying was there has to be some sort of incentive for people to either buy new property to overcome some of the tax issues or even to create partnerships across different types of entities. Um, Mm -hmm. So can you talk more about how, um, about your work and kind of bridging across different types of entities and maybe even different types of motivations in thinking about community development?
1: So social impact, you know, I spent a lot of years, um, my parents never really knew what I did when I was a publicist. And now when I say (laughs) social impact strategy, nobody ever knows what that is. So I'm like, listen, just making sure that you're doing what you say you do for the communities you wanna serve, right? That's the the finite definition, right? So when it comes to working across disciplines, working across um, types of money, social impact strategy and social impact investing is really going to people with the money and saying, look, I know that you usually do X for this percent of return on investment. What if we could get you that return on investment, but you could also do something good, which would have legs? So maybe instead of that seven percent return on investment, you get five percent. Are you going to die with that two percent not in your pocket? You're not. So go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Do the good thing, right? So it's you have to find that person. So in this world, there are social impact investors. Mm -hmm. They're people who set aside x amount of money, or you know, they have space in their wallet for doing good work now they still want to make a return (laughs) that's that's key right They definitely still want to make that return but they're willing to offset some of that that income to good projects right um i want to make sure that we find those good projects and then matching up if it's a developer you know listen build these affordable maybe you're building 40 houses Mm -hmm. maybe you have a small development that you want to do how about for every 10 houses you know out of 10 houses let's do three that are affordable right let's do 30 percent development in your project you're going to find money that's affordable you know that's that's earmarked for affordable developments you'll still make your money on the other seven out of every 10 Mm -hmm. you're going to get money to pay for those three out of every 10 So it's a win-win, right? Like you're gonna make a little money, you're gonna do good work. That's how you have to really break that down. That's what my work does. My work says, okay, how do we one, make sure that what you're doing is really positively impacting community. Two, let's create those public private partnerships so that we can do that. And then, hey, if you're a developer and you don't know how to start this work, let me go find you some money. let me go shake the trees. And that's the syndication work, right? Like, let me shake the trees and put that together. That's really, I I like to, that's, I think why I really was in PR for so long, I was a publicist, like, hey, let me get this free stuff for this project over here. This is what I really like to do. So how do you shake that tree and get that money for that project? And then how do we get those good things built? Mm -hmm. That's, that's what's key.
0: Yeah. What are some of the kind of positive outcomes you've seen in your work in community development? Thinking about the, you know, creating these partnerships, thinking about positive social impact. Can you tell us some of the positive outcomes that you've seen as a result of this work?
1: So I think the land trust is one of the, you know, beginning things. Even if we go back to Vanderbilt, and this was really before I kind of hung my shingle, but I've always been in consulting. Right, I've I've always kind of done these. I'll go anywhere and find something to do good for. Like, that's just my space. But mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt, having to think about what does what does it look like to really do ethical work? Mm-hmm. So I started something called the Ethical Developers Roundtable and brought to- together developers of color and budding developers of color and said, hey, let's come together this one table and let's talk about what projects you have, right? So one, we're creating partnerships. Two, let's talk about, what affordable things are you doing or how can you do some other ethical development? And then having to tell them, no, no, stop talking about everything else. Let's just (laughs) figure out how to do the good work. Right. Mm -hmm. So that ethical developers roundtable was a really good start. The community land trust was a really good next start. Mm -hmm. Um, Consulting with with having, you know, quiet conversations with um, places like Binghamton and saying, listen, this is how you do this wheel and spoke model. Right. (laughs) So even before this all came, I sat down with them, a year ago and said listen this is how this works right mm-hmm. i don't need I, none of those conversations are ever recorded anywhere and that's okay with me right mm-hmm. um and then i have a developer that i'm working with out of nashville and helping him expand his brand into memphis and so just getting one i will not bring anyone to memphis that does not intend to leave memphis better than they found it Mm-hmm. right? While I am a native Nashvilleian, I'm a Memphian by choice. And so I really want to see this work happen. I, I don't know why somebody's praying right now while I'm doing things, but I really want to see this work happen. Um, but I also want to make sure that Memphis gets what it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that expansion is important to me. Is that Mm -hmm. I got thrown off there for just a second.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about kind of ethical development and thinking about just, you know, the multiple levels of incorporating a sense of ethics, a sense of integrity and a commitment to community throughout all levels um, of your work, right, as a Mm -hmm. consultant, right? So thinking about the clients that you even work with, but then also thinking about within those conversations, how can we, you know, maintain the focus on, okay, what is, Ethical development. What are right. the positive social impacts that we want to make, and then who are the other community partners that we need to bring to the table to ensure that our vision and our best intentions actually do produce right. the intended yeah. outcomes?
1: The so one of the things you know, I sit if I sit long enough, my brain goes, you know what we should do, and then <laughs> it just kind of shows up. So I sat long enough um, this past year. I mean this 2020, my goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think once I sat long enough, I really started to think about the lack of diversity in the real estate development space. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to have that conversation and I wanted to see these things. And then of course, when everybody had these magic awakenings and really saw the world (laughs) for what it was, right. Like all of a sudden things, people just got shot. So I'm not going to mention all the, you know, standard names everybody keeps mentioning because we know what it is and we know what it's been. right? Right. But because now everybody sees it um, it's now a thing. And so I just uh, I developed this chat series and I wanted to look at diversity and development from different angles. We started with intentional racism in real estate mm. development, right? And, you know, went forward and I wanted to make sure that diversity, whether it's um, race or age or orientation, right? Was all represented in these conversations and it was. And so we did in a month of, Thursday chats Mm -hmm. and then I sat a little bit longer and I was like oh you know what we should do we should do a conference Mm -hmm. and then I was like oh I should do this this conference and then I pulled together five other people that are as smart as and actually smarter than me in certain spaces right and Uh I was like oh listen y'all and so then that's where the Sankofa summit came from because I was like what if we could empower us and by us again whatever that specialty is within your world, whether it's race, whether you're, you know, African-American or Latino or Native American or Asian, whatever your your ethnicity is, whatever is different, LGBTQ, whether you're from a community that is incredibly disenfranchised now, right? Like, what if we could get that education to be developers? Mm -hmm. Because one, the real wealth is in development. Mm -hmm. You watch all these shows and there are rich realtors. There are wealthy realtors but there are very wealthy developers because they're the end money, right? Mm -hmm. So what if we could learn how to be developers? Then what if we could take that and rebuild our own communities, right? Mm Hmm, Hmm, that sounds smart, let's do that. Then what if we could teach our own people to buy our houses, like, ha, we could do that. So then we built a summit. So we have a summit that's coming up and I'm pretty, pretty jazzed about that. And then we have something else coming up. I'm gonna sit on that until 21. Something pretty dope. I'm pretty excited about because I can't seem to stop my brain. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I want to hear more about this idea of becoming developers ourselves. And I think it's really linked to something you mentioned earlier about this idea of buying back the block. So I kind of want to hear more about these ideas and how they're connected when we come back. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're back on. Let's grab coffee on WYXR ninety one point seven FM, and we're here with Dominique Anderson, and we're talking about community development, community redevelopment, revitalization. And before the break, uh, you were really talking about the importance of being developers, so not just being you know realtors or, or real estate agents, uh, but actually developing communities. And it made me think about something you said earlier about you know what if we buy back the block or even thinking about people who are in the process of buying back the block Um, so could you talk more about how these ideas come together so this idea of buying back the block investing back in your home communities and also this idea of development
1: so i think that you know number one when we look at real estate development again i i said earlier you know realtors that do really well Judy Mack in Memphis does really, really well, right? Like, I'm pretty sure she's wealthy and she has a lot of things that go on in her um, space, right? Like, side note, I was chasing her when I was a realtor. I'm going to be Judy Mack. (laughs) That really wasn't my jam. So, you know, there are realtors that do really well and they're, but the people who build the houses, people who build the subdivisions, they're going to do incrementally better than the realtors because they're only giving them percentage. Mm -hmm. so one if we can figure out now you can lose your shirt in development right but if we can figure out okay let's start at the base there's this whole block of homes that's just dilapidated Mm -hmm. right number one go buy that block because you can buy them the city has these sales Mm -hmm. right they have these sales and you can buy houses we bought a whole block for like Mm 1700 no joke right so you can buy these houses For next to nothing. Now you want to be smart about where you're going. If it's a passion project, you know, how are you finding that funding? But you can buy a block of houses, you can buy a a block, right? Or a side of a street or six homes together, right? Buy those houses. Then you think, okay, what does it cost to really develop that space? So you think through that, find out, you know, there's taxes and all those things, but that is a real thing that can happen. It's not really out of reach. Memphis is a great space for that. And we want to do this before everybody in California New York and, mm-hmm. you know, Jersey figures out that you can buy a whole blocks and they, you know, run our city, but you can buy that block. And it is not unnecessarily. It's not a necessarily difficult thing to do. Once you own that, you have a plan. So getting that education and real estate development is going to be crucial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm going to help you with that eventually. Uh, You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But there are other places where you can figure out Urban Land Institute, ULI, has the Ready Mm -hmm. program. Um, There's a couple other things that happen. In Knoxville, they have a whole program where you can learn and they'll give you X amount of money once you do that, right? So there are opportunities to get into this development space, but decide early on that you want to be an ethical developer, which means that you're going to build homes that people can afford. Maybe, like my client, he may buy that block and then maybe there's an adjoining empty lot, or maybe he buys that block and decides he's going to build, replace those, you know, six homes with four homes and then something community-based if there's commercial opportunities in that space, right? But it's got to be something that's going to improve the community, safer park, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. this is how you improve communities incrementally. Again, I make it sound very simple, (laughs) but you know, this is what you, you know, you stand back and you go, okay, what's, what opportunities are there now? Banks, Wells Fargo has, you know, programs that they're throwing money at people. Now it's grant money and it's a process, Mm -hmm. but I wrote that grant at both Vanderbilt and at, at the housing fund, right? So, those programs are there for you to put money. In. And then if you're a doctor, like I have a client that's a doctor and mm-hmm. he just wants to put money in things, right? He wants to support things. So he wants to support diverse developers. He wants to support projects. You know, he doesn't want to really be a developer, but he'll put money behind something that's going to improve communities like the one he came from. He's from Orange Mountain. And he wants to improve that community. So he'll put money into things that help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, is, this is how we figure out, you know, incrementally how to build up.
0: Mm -hmm. As you were talking, it was making me think about, you know, thinking about development um, in kind of the long view, both thinking back historically and thinking about, for instance, redlining, right? And so what have been the limitations for developing uh, particular communities, um, mm -hmm. specifically communities of color, but then Mm -hmm. also taking a long view, looking forward, what might a city look like in the future if we are able to create these partnerships for ethical development, but also Mm -hmm. to be able to diversify who is doing the development, self.
1: Right. You, the reason that programs for diversity and inclusion, are important the reason that focus who focus specifically on diversity, and inclusion are important is because no one can tell you what someone's thinking, like the people who are from where they are. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I grew up, you know, I didn't have a concept of Memphis until I came to Memphis. Right. You're not going to understand. My husband's not from You know, certain parts of Nashville, so he doesn't understand it's just a certain way that people think and do and act. Mm -hmm. And so, if you get people in the room who grew up around or look like or, you know, studied or or, are really entrenched in that community, they're gonna be able to speak the language, help you build the things, and be able to talk to people differently than people who are not and who do not really have a genuine concern about that area. And that's why we have to come to the table and by we again people who are from there people who look like the people who are from there people who spend time around the people who are from there th- that's vitally important to have that real desire to build something for miss emma who lives up the street or mr mm-hmm. joe who lives down the street like you know what they what they love and what they like and what they care about and you want to build that thing for them um but if you're just a, a a random developer comes in, you're going to, you might have bottom lines in your head that don't make sense to what is good for a community.
0: Mm -hmm. Very different. Yeah, thinking about those differences in motivation, it just made me think about particularly um, Detroit as an example, where a lot of developers have really bought up, you know, big swaths of Detroit, yeah. but you know, for purposes of making money, right? Which, right. on one hand, okay, understand, we are in a capitalistic society, right? Sure. There is this um, push for you know making money, <laughs> um, generating your own right. personal wealth, uh, but then there is also something about how do we invest in community even if it's not maybe our own personal community but broader just thinking about communities in general
1: right i mean alabama for example is going through a renaissance birmingham huntsville um oh what's the other there's you know some other places that really are are key in alabama that are really starting to see some some negative gentrification as well as some rebuilding. And so now those are types of places that I look at and go, oh, okay, I'm gonna do the work, I'm gonna do the work. I just have the shiny ball that I get in that development, shiny ball where I wanna save everywhere, but really Tennessee has plenty
0: Mm -hmm. to do
1: here, right? Um, And catching it and saying, okay, this is now a space where we can one, educate and empower our own communities and communities of people from the communities that need the help. Um, and then this is also a space where we can encourage homeownership from people in this space and and community pride revitalizing because it's not just enough to go in and and give out backpacks and then walk away right like it's not just because all things lead back to real estate that's one thing i need people to understand that all things really do lead back to real estate because a house or a home um, a building all those things touch healthcare and education and all of that and where you live and how you live impacts everything else that goes on in your
0: world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I was just thinking back. I remember there's a time for Nashville, which obviously has been undergoing a lot of development in the past decade or so. Um, I remember for several years in a row, Nashville had the highest increase in rental rates because of that massive development that was happening, you know, so quickly. And I think for a lot of Mintians, you know, we saw that as kind of the warning signs. Like if it's happening in Nashville, it's only, you know, a matter of time before it happens here. And with us having a very different socioeconomic demographic, um, I know for me the question was like, okay, how can Memphis and Memphians survive, you know, such intense levels of, and I was just say gentrification, because it didn't seem like it was really community investment uh, no. at that point. Right. Um, So for people who are listening, what advice would you give them in thinking about community development? So maybe for folks who, you know, aren't developers themselves and aren't thinking in that route, but even just community members.
1: You know, there's a space where there's an ecosystem inside of the development community. Mm -hmm. So I personally am not necessarily a developer in in the traditional sense, right? but I'm very you know, developer adjacent. And mm-hmm. the work that I do supports them to help them think about one, back up and look at a community, wherever you feel really impassioned to do the work, back up and look at the land, mm-hmm. look at the structures, do the research, how much of this can we buy? And you say, well, I don't have any money. There's money out there, so let's go find that. Then you find out, how do I go get this money? Who is investing here? Let me look at my personal picture. Can mm-hmm. I take it on my back personally? Do I need to set up a company? Do I know other people? I would start building a network, right? Like I'm interested in being maybe a, not a developer, but I want to put this group together. Do I know somebody in construction? Do I know an architect? Do I, you know, So start mm-hmm. building your ecosystem of people and then talking to the community. There's uh, Memphis is the land of CDCs, right? Mm -hmm. Some are great, some are not, but how do you go and knock on that door and say, what's going on in the community and how can I be a part of that? And where does the, the built environment, where does that real estate space take place? What does that look like? It's, it's really research and and conversation Mm -hmm. and, and money. It's always (laughs) money.
0: It's It's not (laughs) fun, but it's there
1: always money
0: always money yes now for people who are listening and they maybe are you know starting to dabble or get into you know development or thinking about larger investments right maybe they've already been thinking about this so it isn't a brand new kind of topic or conversation Mm -hmm. um but maybe they haven't thought about this ethical right the ethics involved in development um what kind of advice or would you give them
1: so I'm what I often call a money-making hippie. <laughs> um, that is really my space, right? So doing well by doing good. And I think that when you wanna start this work, look inside yourself, set a number. Is this something that you're quitting your day job? Do you not have a day job and this is what you're banking on? Really understand what the development industry is about. Mm-hmm. What is that money that it takes? You know. Look at the numbers on everything all the time, right? And then think about what do I want to build? How fast do I want to build it? And where's that money going to come from? And who do I want? And even before you start looking after you, well, look at the money first, but then look at who's going to go in this space and how is it going to make this part of town better? How's it going to make this community better? what am i what am i doing and and how big and audacious are my goals you know i i love me a big audacious hairy goal i love it so you know <laughs> go out there and figure out you know how am i really going to make this impact and is is the pencil you know the school drive is that enough mm-hmm. is the turkey drive is that enough the hams that i'm giving out is that enough or are people still going back to homes that aren't great mm-hmm. it, maybe education is your space, but I think, you know, if you really look at real estate, again, all roads lead back to real estate, so how do I impact that space, and then go out?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, I just love this idea, all through our conversation, you know, it's just this recurring importance of community, uh, both Mm -hmm. in those, you know, feelings of community, those type of, you know, emotional ties, but then also the actual, as you mentioned, you know, the built environment, and how much that contributes to everything, to our health, mm-hmm. to our well-being, to, you know, access to education, or, you know, the right. resources that we have, so it really does all b- come back to community, come back to that physical space, and, of course, always come back to, you know, the money of it all.
1: Um, right, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, that, you know, Orange Mound, I have a you know, definite soft spot, my husband's from Orange Mound, went to Melrose High School, his whole family is, you know, Orange Mound, Melrose, all the things, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you look at Orange Mound as a community with the history and the historical nature that it has, it's really, it's sad to see certain areas in amount of disrepair. But what's also so interesting to me is to look at just the streets like my mother-in-law lives on, right? She very much, There are still people on that street that are very much focused on having the nice yard, having a nice mm-hmm. home having the nice, you know, everything. And so when people talk about Memphis and they have such negative things to say, I get very frustrated because you don't understand the core, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you think about revitalizing community like Orange Mound, which is is definitely a, that's a deeper, bigger conversation than than most people are ready for. But you have Lamar Shopping Center, which could have been revitalized. That was a, a whole... World that was an ecosystem to itself, right? And so when people don't look at how do you fix that, right? So that's a, that's the built environment, the shopping, the stores, you know, and and all of these pieces, and then the homes, and then the schools, because you have all these schools that are getting closed, community schools, all of it's real estate, mm-hmm. and and when you have a strong community that's that's you know able and willing to say, not here, you're yeah. not going to come close these schools, and we can show you because property values and taxes. See, it's all money. It's all real estate. And that's how how they all, you know, are able to say, well, we're just going to do all these things to you because you don't seem like you care, Mm -hmm. but they do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I think you've brought up so many important topics for us to consider, thinking about the importance of real estate um, and thinking about our own individual role that we have to play in creating healthy communities and creating sustainable communities. So thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So for today's positive note, I want to share a quote by Margaret Wheatley, and she says, there is no power for change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. Y'all, let's care about each other and create strong, healthy communities, not only for ourselves, but also for our futures. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Join me as we talk about some of our common curiosities about the world around us.